I'm so thankful you're here today, and for all of you watching online, I'm thankful that you got to meet Jordan and Chris, and I hope, like me, you feel inspired to know that as a church, we get to partner with men and women with this kind of faith and this kind of courage. I told the first service, Jamie and I have already prayed and thought about what we would do for Harvest, uh, and we'd already made a commitment that we were going to give more money than we've ever given for a Harvest weekend And after being around these two guys, we're going to have to pray because I think God wants us to do more. And I hope you will give that kind of prayer and faith conversation this week in your family to this question. What does God want me to do to partner with Him for His mission to the world? And it's one of the reasons why I picked a study of the book of Jonah. Because God has a heart especially for the great and mighty cities that we often write off as too wicked to care about. So open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 4. And as you get there, let me tell you the story of the two brothers that got into a fight and the little one got the worst of it. And so as he's going to bed, he's pretty mad and his mom wants to calm him down. So she reminds him, honey, remember the Bible says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And he looks at her very frustrated and said, now mom, how am I going to keep the sun from going down? So have you ever gotten angry because somebody challenged you about being angry? Welcome to Jonah. The man that did not want to be swallowed by the will of a great God. And so when God said, I want you to go to Nineveh, that great and wicked city, Jonah thought, I don't want to go there, not just physically, but spiritually. I don't want to be any part of blessing a place that bad. So he went the other way. And you know that through a series of events, some storms, some conversations with sailors, and finally time in the belly of the fish, Jonah decided obedience was a better path. So he goes to Nineveh, but it's harder than in it. He preaches, but he doesn't want a response, and he gets one. He witnesses one of the greatest revivals in history, and now Nineveh and Jonah are wondering, what is God going to do? And God decides to spare wicked Nineveh, repentant Nineveh, the city that God loves, even if his people don't. And it says in chapter 4 then, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. Isn't that stunning? A prophet of God thinking God is wrong. And he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. This guy has got a death wish, as we're going to see. He says, for it's better for me to die than to live But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Did you notice that Jonah was angry because God is slow to get angry? He's not mad at the Ninevites. He is mad at God. Jonah did not like what God is like. 
He's that rare preacher that wants failure more than success. He doesn't want to see people respond. He doesn't want to see revival break out. He knew that when God sent him to preach against Nineveh, God did it because he was really for Nineveh. He wasn't afraid of what the Ninevites would do to him. He was afraid of what God would do for the Ninevites. Because deep down, Jonah suspected that God was a Christian. You see, we tend to see the Bible through the lens that Jesus is like God. But there's also the Bible telling us God is like Jesus. God didn't get converted in the New Testament. God has always been full of love and compassion. And Jonah knew it. And he didn't like it. In fact, it's stunning to me. The text says... To Jonah, this seemed very wrong. He thinks God is wrong not to put discriminatory limits on his grace. He thinks God is wrong to not ask Jonah's opinion on what should happen to Nineveh. And he thinks God is wrong. After Jonah did what God wanted, not to do what Jonah wanted. You see, Jonah would like God a lot more if God was a lot more like Jonah. God made us in His image, and ever since, we've been trying to make God in our image. And it just goes to prove that you can do the right thing with the wrong heart. Because Jonah is running from God in obedience Just as much as he ran from God in disobedience. You can do that, you know. You can do the right thing in your heart, still be disobeying God. But you can always expect God to do an intervention. When Jonah ran from God in disobedience, God did an intervention through the form of a storm and a fish. And God's going to intervene again with an amazing question. Jonah, is it right... For you to be angry. Jonah. Have you considered. The legitimacy. Of your anger. Because you see. Nothing reveals the condition. Of our hearts. Like the conditions that will make us. Angry. Because anger exposes. Idolatry. Now the Bible mentions idolatry and the problem of it over a thousand times. It's the number one thing the Bible speaks against. It is the root of all sin. Because you are replacing God for something else. And God can't bless that. Because God can't lie. God knows that He is above all else. So in your life... When you put anything above God, even if you've included God, you can't ask God to bless your life because God would have to lie and say there really is something above me. And so God can't bless the life where he's included, but he's not exalted. And Jonah knew this because like us, Jonah prayed better than he lived. Remember when he's in the fish? Chapter 2, verse 8, he prayed, those who cling to worthless idols 
turn away from God's love for them. The idolater does not experience the blessing of the love of God because he has found something else to be his source of security and identity. And for Jonah, that something was his ethnicity. Jonah was an Israelite first and a servant of God second. The first recorded words of Jonah in the book are, I am Hebrew. But here's the problem. When you make anything, your race, your job, your health, your finances, your politics, when you make anything in your life more important than God and the source of your identity and security, you're in a tenuous spot because anything else can be toppled over. And when your idol gets threatened, you're going to become either fearful or hateful. And either way, you're going to express it with anger. Now, of course, we've become very good at baptizing our anger. That's particularly why we love us-them language. Because it justifies my dislike for people who are not like me. And it angers us when God doesn't do us them. Now, I know from experience what I'm talking about. Some of the ugliest confrontations I've ever had in ministry have been when I have preached against the sin of racism. Equally ugly have been some of the letters I've received when I said, God doesn't do us, them, in the kingdom of God. He doesn't do your denomination and your tribe is better than another. It's just who loves Jesus and who doesn't. And in particular, anytime I have suggested that just because something is good for America doesn't mean that heaven blesses it. People get angry. Now, I love my country, but I do not worship America. I am a citizen of the kingdom of God first. I'm going to tell you a hard story to hear. Philip Yancey, in his book, Vanishing Grace, tells of a conversation he had with a man who was a pastor who received his call to ministry in as difficult a circumstance as I've ever heard. He was among the soldiers that liberated the horrible Daxau concentration camp. And nothing could have prepared them for what they had to do. To go into boxcars where the Nazis had lined up like timber, emaciated, dead bodies of Jewish Holocaust victims. And he said, as we took care of those bodies that day, every Horrible emotion you could experience went through me. Hate, revulsion, anger, rage. And after hours of this unthinkable exposure to evil, 
One of the soldiers, a man named Chuck, was told to escort 12 of the SS officers in charge of that camp to an interrogation center. He walked off after a minute or two, and then they heard machine gun fire. And Chuck walked back, the smoke still coming out of his gun, a leer on his face, and he said, they tried to run away. Nobody turned Chuck into the authorities or reported him. And the man told Yancey, that's the day I heard my call. I didn't know that kind of evil existed in the world. And I knew I should spend my life opposing it. But what really scared me was when I realized the potential for that kind of hate could be in me too. There is no us, them. There's just us in desperate need for a God who is slow to anger and abounding in love. But here's the problem. Anger opposes grace and loves to camouflage itself as a passion for justice. Okay, so... A young woman is about to get married. She can't contain her excitement. Her parents' nasty divorce doesn't even subdue her joy. She goes with her mother to find a dress for the wedding. And her mother finds a beautiful dress. She says, Mama, you look like a million bucks. So imagine her horror a week later when she finds out that her father's brand new, much younger wife has picked the exact same dress for the wedding. And she asks her to wear something else, but the Young wife said, no, I look like a million bucks in this dress too. I'm wearing it to that wedding. Her mother says, honey, don't worry. This is your day. It's not mine. I'll go find a different dress. So they go out and they find another dress. And the daughter says, so mama, I guess you'll take the first dress back. Oh, no, I'm going to keep it. Well, why, mama? You have no occasion to wear it to. Oh, yes, I do. I'm going to wear it to the rehearsal dinner the night before the wedding. (laughs) Okay, be honest. We like that story, don't we? Because there is something in all of us, the spirit of Jonah, that says, people just need to get what they deserve. And here's the problem. The greatest contradiction of terms in the English language is deserved grace. And if you get what you deserve, you'll never get grace. Jonah doesn't have a problem with grace as long as he's the recipient. When he's in the belly of the fish, he loves grace. Jonah's problem is other people getting what he needed because he doesn't see them as being worthy. I mean, come on, we're talking Ninevites here. And Jonah figured, okay, I'm not perfect, but there's no way my sin compares to the kind of sin they've been doing. As if he thinks that saying no to God, which is what he did, is no small deal. Jonah was angry. And at the root of his anger and ours was a double standard. He just couldn't believe that he needed a gracious and compassionate God as much as Nineveh did. He reminds me of two characters in the New Testament. The first is the elder brother. You remember him. The younger brother goes off to Nineveh and sins greatly. 
And when he comes back, the father is slow to anger and abounding in love. And big brother is mad. He's not mad at his little brother. He's mad at the father. For not being more discriminating in who he gives grace to. And the other person he reminds me of is Simon the Pharisee. Threw a party for Jesus. And this woman from the street comes in. A very sinful past. And she is repentant. She is washing his feet with her tears and her hair. And Simon is offended. And he's angry. And Jesus says one little short sentence that says so much. He says, Simon, whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Now, Jesus doesn't mean some people don't need much forgiveness. He's saying people that don't think they need as much forgiveness as them diminish their capacity to love like God. Because Jonah and Nineveh are in desperate need of the same thing from the same God. Grace. And the good news is God is eager to give grace. He's eager to give grace to the unrighteous. He's eager to give grace to the self-righteous. That's just who God is. He's a good, good father. And this story is asking us to like what God is like. But it's not always easy. Especially when you've seen evil face to face. So in a moment, I'm going to let you listen to a brief video testimony from Chet McDonald. A lot of you know Chet. He was born without arms or legs. And you can imagine then, in junior high, the kind of teasing and mocking and bullying he endured, particularly from one fellow student. But then God made Jet face his own personal Nineveh. Watch I remember in high school, in my junior year, uh, after school one day, he comes walking across. So we had a big open area in our school. He comes walking across it. So he comes up to me, and I'm bracing myself, thinking it's going to start all over again. And he said, I need to tell you something. He said, this past weekend, I went on something my friend called a church retreat. I'd never heard of it before. And while I was there, I made Jesus my Lord and Savior. And I knew that the first thing I had to do on Monday morning was to come apologize to you because I know that Jesus would have never said any of those things to you. And so I'm sorry. And I ask for your forgiveness. I remember so distinctly when he walked away praying, why him? Are you kidding me? This is who we're letting in the kingdom now? This is who you want as a part of your family, as a part of the family that I'm in? No, because he tortured me. And he put me through that. And you may have forgotten, but I haven't. And then there was a time that I realized God gets a lot of blame for the evil in the world. But God was doing something in that bully's life that was good, and I didn't want him to. So where does that evil come from? Because it would be totally 
against what God was doing in that situation to say that God caused that evil inside of me while he was trying to work good in the bully's life. That doesn't make any sense. God's will was for that guy to come to know him. And I was the one, even as a self-proclaimed Christian, who was standing there saying, I don't want that. And so when we blame him for evil, it doesn't make any sense, does it? The suffering I went through in junior high was the starting point of God's pursuit of him. And if that's the case, then I pray that God lead me to my next point of suffering because I want someone else, even though if it means hurting me, to know God. See, here's the thing. I'm not trying to convince you to like God. I'm trying to persuade you and me to want to be more like God. And we're not like God unless we love the hard to like. Didn't Jesus teach us that? He said pagans can do the kind of love where you bless the sweet people and you give to people that always give back. But bless those who curse you. Give without expecting to get anything back. Love your enemies. And do good to people who did evil to you. And then you will be like your Father in heaven. God runs to his enemies, not away from them. And when we do the same thing, what we find out is that we were running closer to God. You see, God didn't confront Jonah's anger to save Nineveh. He confronted Jonah's anger to save Jonah. And so... Johann Burr, the Norwegian Olivist, tells this story about an antisocial man that moves to a village, puts up a fence and a big keep-out sign and buys a vicious dog. And a little girl from the town came and put her hand through the fence to pet the dog. And the dog grabbed her arm and mauled her so badly that she bled to death. And the whole village turned against this man. No one would speak to him. They wouldn't sell him groceries. They wouldn't sell him seed to plant in his field. He became destitute. And then one day he looks out in his field and there is a man planting seed in it. The father of the little girl his dog had killed. And he goes out and he asks him why he's doing this. And the man says, I'm doing this. To keep God alive in me. Is it right for you to be angry when you follow a God that went to a cross for you and ask you to help him take that word of the cross to the world? Father, I'm, uh, 
I'm praying right now in the powerful name of Jesus that the Holy Spirit will go into each heart and do the work that only the Holy Spirit can do. Because the Holy Spirit knows what each person needs to hear today. Maybe somebody here right now needs to deal with some anger in their life. And no matter how much they want to justify their anger, Father, their anger is keeping their heart from being more like your heart. So expose it, God. Give them the courage to confess it. Maybe, maybe somebody here needs to deal with fear. Fear of what would happen if they became more obedient to your mission, more generous with their money, more, more bold with their witness. And maybe, God, maybe some of us just need to deal with apathy. We just haven't looked at the cities and the nations and our neighbors like you do. And so, God, we like you. Help us to be more like you. For Jesus' sake, amen. Let's all stand up. We're going to have prayer teams up in the balcony and down here at the front. Because some of you just need to come and say, hey, God's doing something in my life and I need discernment. Some of you need to come and say, this is what I need to get out. This is what I need to confess. Some of you are ready to put Jesus on as Lord and Savior and be baptized. So we're here and we're ready to call you to a God who is abounding in grace.